welcome to Valley Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message, and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We're located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I do want to say that this, this is a Sunday morning that we've been anticipating. This is a Sunday morning that, that we, along with, with, uh, with people from all over this world, with Christians from all over this world, are celebrating the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, who came as a humble child to a poor family. He did not look like royalty. He did not look like something special. And it confused so many people because they were looking for something different. He pretty much died in confusion also because they were looking for something completely different. But he came and he was doing it absolutely what he came to do. And this is why for those that don't share our faith, uh, I, I want you to understand this and, and, and others should understand this. We do as Christians have an agenda. And our agenda is to live out the love of Christ in our lives to a point where you recognize that there's no way this person could be doing this because I know this person. There's no way this person could have this much love. There's no way this person could have much, this much grace or mercy toward others because I grew up with this person or I know this person or I've been around this person. That has got to come from somewhere else, and that somewhere else is Jesus Christ and His Holy Spirit living in us. We want you to understand why we believe in this man. But instead of berating you, instead of knocking you over the head with the Bible, we, we want you to, you know, we want the Lord to speak for Himself through, through His love in us. Because around the world today, there are so many people celebrating the fact that Jesus did not stay in the grave. Jesus' death that day was planned a long time ago. It was planned since the time of Adam and Eve and when sin first entered in this world. And his death was the payment for that sin. You're sitting today not amongst a, you know, a bunch of good churchy people. If you look to the right and to the left and, and just glance because they'll start, start taking it personally, you're setting around a bunch of recovering sinners. And I'm not talking about churchy sins. You know, I missed my quiet time. The Lord must be upset with me. Or, I, you know, I meant to not do this small sin anymore, but gosh darn it, I, I did it again. No, we're talking about real sin. Sometimes huge sins that affects other people's lives. Sometimes personal sin that, that really affects our life and, and tears our relationship with the Lord. We're a bunch of saved sinners. And this is why on today of all days we are so happy. Because Jesus' resurrection happened when he was already the Lord of lords. And people did not know it. He was already the King of kings, but people just did not know it. He was already our Redeemer, Redeemer and Savior. People just did not know it. He was already the creator. He created that. He created the heavens. And I don't know about you, but, but you know, I love to go outside at night and look at the stars. I love the camp. I love to do all that stuff. And I'm just amazed when I look up there and see the heavens and think that he created that and he loves me. 
Wow. By his resurrection, he completely affirmed all these things. And every single word that was ever written about him, every single thing that he had done, every single word that he spoke was affirmed by his resurrection. If you cannot defeat death, then what, what was it all for? But if you can defeat death, then I would assume that people would pay attention to you, right? And with his death and resurrection, it did something else for us. It opened up, the, uh, you know, it opened up access to the Father, to the Creator, it opened up, you know, that we could go before him. It was denied to us. It wasn't like the father was sitting up there going, you know, arms crossed and going, no, 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 no. No. The Lord, the Lord was so holy. The Lord is so righteous that we couldn't even enter into his presence because of the sin that was on us, because of the blackness that was in us. But at the same time, the Lord craved that relationship with us. So he sent his only son who hung on a cross. Who literally felt forsaken by God. And some of you might even have that feeling today of, of you know, God could never accept me because of that one sin in my life or the continual sin in my life. That one thing, God could never, you know, there's no way God could be in my presence. Or maybe it's life will never be the same again because of what I did. And yet Jesus, Jesus took all of that to the cross with him. And he completed that again through his resurrection. He is the pioneer of our faith. He hacked his way through the jungle of sin. You know, but, but the, class, uh, the, the path is now clear for us. He made a path for others to follow. The promised land for us is heaven. It's not a piece of real estate. It's being with God. And that path is there for us. And it has pain and it has troubles along that path. It's not an easy path. You know, there's scary things out there in the jungle. But the path is clear. So that when we die, we know that we will go to heaven. And for those who accepted his grace, we know that we have put our faith in him. You know, we're, what, what we've done is basically what the kids are going to do this afternoon. They're going to put all their eggs in one basket, aren't they? Except for the little ones, because they're going to pick up the basket, pick up the egg, and they're going to go like this. And it's not going to make it into the basket. But for the older ones, they put all their eggs in one basket. We've done that with Jesus Christ. When we put our faith in him, we put all our eggs in one basket. And what a beautiful thing that is. And that is what we're celebrating today. Putting all our eggs in the basket of Jesus's. That we believe that he died and he rose again from the grave. For us. These simple realities give us a great hope. That because of his tremendous sacrifice... There's now so much grace that we can access, you know, access. That we've been forgiven of, of terrible sins. We've been forgiven of, of sins that we don't even think about because they're so minute.
we also will defeat death. Think about that for a second. We will defeat death just like Christ because of what he did. We have a tangible hope for those that have gone before us. And we ourselves will be absent from this body. And our spirit will be with our Savior in heaven. Well, let's talk a little bit about, you know, talk about a little bit about the history. And if you've been reading any of the emails that I've sent about the, the scriptures that go along with Passion Week, then you know on, on Friday Jesus was, was in the tomb. And this would have been, you know, somewhere around A.D. 30 or 31, right after Passover, on a Friday afternoon, after they've arrested Christ, after they've tried him, after they've beat him, and they killed him, and they put him up on the cross, but then they took him down. A holiday weekend was coming up, and a wealthy man had a, had a meeting with the governor, and he got permission to take down the body of Christ. Pilate is actually surprised that Christ is already dead because usually a, a, you know, a death on a cross is excruciating and sometimes it could take days. But with Christ, it wasn't that way. He was dead after six hours. And he calls the centurion that had stabbed Jesus you know, in a side up into his heart just to make sure and said, okay, now he, he is dead, right? I want to make sure of that before I give permission these guys to take him off the cross. And he confirmed to the governor that he was. Now, executed, uh, you know, executed bodies are not usually afforded the, the honor of burial. They're left up there on that cross for all to see as a warning. Don't mess with me or you're going to end up there. Don't mess with me or I'm going to pin you to a cross. I'm going to nail you up there and it's not going to be fun. That's usually how you know, they're, they're treated and basically the, the animals come and uh, you know, I don't want to go too much into it. But I mean, you, there's not much left of you. But Pilate agreed to meet with a man of jo uh, called Joseph of Arimathea and the most respected teacher of Israel at that time, Nicodemus. And he gave them permission to take the body. So they took the body. They purchased fine linens and a hundred pounds of spices. And they wrapped the body in those linens and placed him in a tomb that belonged to Joseph. And these tombs were, were caves. They weren't like, you know, our little tombs that, that we think of six feet down. No, they're not like that. These are caves basically into the wall of a canyon or something. And then they would roll a, a huge stone in front of it. The stone would be like flat on two sides and be about the, the size of, you know, depending on the opening of the cave, bigger or smaller. And they would put a groove right in front of the... Um, right in front of the cave and the stone literally would be rolled right in there and the reason why they put a stone there is so they can roll it off and use the, the, the place again it was a family plot if you want to call it that but both Marys were there watching so they knew what happened to Jesus the next day the evil men that had executed Christ met with Pontius Pilate and demanded soldiers be placed in front of the grave because Christ talked about returning from the dead and they were afraid of their followers would would come and you know steal the body so they sealed the tomb up they would take this wax and they would melt it along the edges of the of the round stone right there where it met the cave 
And they would put their seal there and they would take the, the seal of the, of the guy in charge, the, the, the emperor or Pontius Pilate, and they would, they would stick it in that wax and basically don't open that. It's been sealed by the government. If you mess with that, we're going to come down on you. So they sealed the tomb with a Roman seal. So then Sunday morning, the Sabbath holiday is over. Passover is done with. And Mary... And the other Mary came to do their work. They'd very quickly wrapped Jesus' body and basically just threw about 100 pounds of, of spices on top of them, you know, in the wrapping. And they did it just very quickly, and they wanted to come back and do it right because he was their Savior. But when they got there, a powerful earthquake had happened. And they found the angel of the Lord sitting on a rolled-back stone. And I love the picture. I love the idea, the, the word picture they put here. The angel's just sitting on the stone like nothing's going on. He's just there. And the guards were on the ground, presumably, you know, knocked out somehow. And in Matthew 28, it says, The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, He is risen. Just as he has said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples, he is risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the, the scriptures say the women were, were very happy, and, and, but they were kind of afraid at the same time. And so they, they go running off and they tell the disciples and Peter and John, they come running to the tomb to see for themselves. And they see the linens, you know, were there. And John writes how the, the cloth that was around the head was neatly folded and put on, the, uh, put on the ledge there. And then they left. So then Jesus starts appearing all over the place. It's not like he only showed himself to, to one or two people. No, first to, to, you know, first to Mary Magdalene and them at the tomb and, and then to some more women. And then they, he, he showed himself to Simon Peter. And then another group of people on Sunday afternoon, and, and then ten of the disciples. And Thomas was, was absent until that evening. And then he appeared to, to all the disciples, you know, all eleven of them, including Thomas in Jerusalem. Then the disciples in, in Galilee, and when I say disciples, there were many followers of Jesus. There were, were the twelve disciples that were, were close to Jesus, but then there was hundreds of other disciples that, that he came to. Then there was 500 men that he uh, showed himself to, and then James. And then he stayed around for 40 days. Then lastly, to the three apostles, right before he ascended to heaven. Now, from these accounts, they were not mere, like, ghostly appearances. It's not like he had a glow around him, and, and everywhere he went, there was just a big glow. No, he sat down, and he ate with them. He talked with them. He is real. He hung out with them during the daytime. So many people saw him for 40 days. And during these times, it's written, and it, you know, it's written that he, he opened the scriptures and really explained to them what the meaning was that they'd been studying all their lives. And some of it they understood, but a lot of it they didn't. And he opened their eyes to that. 
He explained to them about the resurrection. You know, we really need to sit with this because Jesus, he defeated more than just death. He hung out with them, you know, hung out with them after he defeated death. There are so many eyewitnesses to, you know, to drive people crazy who want to dispute this story. You know, without the witnesses, this is an unbelievable story. Without witnesses. You know, on one occasion he, he appeared to over 500 men, and they only counted men back then. So, so there was probably around, you know, 1,500 to 2,000 people because they had large families that were, you know, that were around them. He appeared to the whole group, so many that it could not be disputed that he was alive. So it doesn't take much faith as you would believe. The faith it takes is the understanding that he died for us also. That death, the, the death of someone else paid for your sin. And the resurrection of someone else, you know, starts the process of your resurrection. And it proves that, that, that the Lord has the power to resurrect from the dead. But it means nothing unless we have the faith to believe that it's for us also. You know, let's put to rest the notion that we can't believe this because it happened so long ago. That you can't put stock in the eyewitnesses back then. Because if that were the case, then we can't believe that Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. We have no film of that. We have no pictures of that. The only reason why we believe this is because we have eyewitnesses to the fact that John Wilkes Booth assassinated Abraham Lincoln. I believe it because there were witnesses. There were witnesses. You know, I believe that Brutus killed Caesar. Do you believe that? Some of you are going, I don't know who that is. I don't know who Brutus is. He was one of the, one of the senators, and, and he killed Caesar. I don't believe it because we have video of it happening. No, there was eyewitnesses. That's accepted by the world. So now we go back to Jesus because there's recorded history from multiple eyewitnesses who saw it that Jesus was dead, he was put in the tomb, and now he's alive and walking around, talking with the disciples, sitting down with people, eating with them. You know, one of the, one of the greatest convincing evidences about Christ's resurrection, other than the eyewitnesses, is that in all the first century, no one was able to refute that Christ resurrected from the dead. And believe me, they had the power and the money to do so, yet they could not effectively refute this. Why? Too many people saw it. They couldn't do that. In fact, the beginning you know, of the enemy of God saying that this did not happen started right after what? All the, all the eyewitnesses had died off. And their children and their grandchildren. And then the enemy came in and started going, no, no, there really wasn't a man named Jesus. Oh, it's, it's all a fabrication. And, the, and that's when the, the, the faith started going, kind of going off and, and people came together and said, no, this is truth. And they put together uh, the Bible as we know it. You know, and if you think that, you know, somehow the, the Bible survived, but not other writings... Consider this. 
Roman and Jewish governments had tons of money, right? I mean, the government has money. I mean, our government has money. It's our money, right? Well, depending on, well, they spent it all, but still, they can print more money, right? Well, the same thing for the Romans and the Jews back then. Did you know that there were 30 copies of Mark that were done? Now, with 30 copies of the book of Mark, talking about the resurrected Lord, they could make 3,000 copies of whatever refuting that Christ resurrected from the dead. But they didn't do that because there was too many eyewitnesses. Yes, it takes faith, but it's in a reasonable faith to believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus rose from the dead around A.D. 30. We don't know the exact, you know, exact date, but we do know the exact date of the writing of 1 Corinthians are, are pretty close. 1 Corinthians is, a, is the first book written after Christ's resurrection. We do know the month that it was written in. It was sometime in the, in the spring of A.D. 55. And, and I could go into all these details of why they know it's spring of A.D. 55, and I won't bore you with that unless you're a history person. Come to me, and I'll show you all the, the research on that. But it's, it's accepted by 99% of the scholars. So you do the math. Say you were at the resurrection of Jesus Christ in A.D. 30. I mean, you were there. You talked to Jesus. You knew who he was. So in A.D. 55, how old would you be if you were 20 when Christ was resurrected from the dead? Now, those that are quick at math, 45. Good, you got it. Now, the book of Mark was written in A.D. 60 to 65, probably in the early, early 60s there. Acts was written around A.D. 65. Matthew was, you know, was wrote around A.D. 62 to 70, uh, 72, right in there. So now you're around 55 year, years old when these books were written. So you see, you have a lot of people still alive when these books were written that could tell you, yes, that is truth. I saw it for myself. You know, these, with the Roman roads, these books could be written and distributed within a year all over the kingdom. So these books, you know, they hit Jerusalem and Galilee 30 years after the resurrection of Christ. And since people saw and experienced the resurrection... So let's, let's say for the sake of argument that all this is made up. And if you were living at that time, and all of a sudden you were handed this book with all this made up information, what would you do? What if, what if in the book they wrote, well, so-and-so, and that's you, said this? And you would be like, I didn't say that. They're writing, this is false. That's what you would say, right? Think of it like this. Say a book was written in 2026 saying that September 11th never happened. What would you say? I saw it on TV. I saw the plane hit the tower. What do you mean that didn't happen? I, I got a tape of it. You know, I have a friend of mine that helped with that search and rescue. His name is Mark Vigers. He, he has lost about 35% of his lung capacity because of all the dust and everything else. So don't tell me that that didn't happen. That's what I would tell them in the year 2026 if they came out and said it didn't happen. I was a witness to it. Just 25 years from September 11th. 
What if somebody wrote in a book, no, the, the Twin Towers, they, they, they were in San Francisco, they weren't in New York. You'd be like, you're, you're nuts, you're crazy. You see how we would dispute something that's false. So many people would come forward. I mean, we'd have millions of people across America going, this is nuts, get this guy out of here, whoever wrote this. The first century, no one was making noise. No one was, was saying that Jesus was not resurrected from, from, the, from the dead. You see what I'm saying here? Do you understand where I'm going with this? No one said, no, this did not happen. There's no books out there that says, hey, they, they really believe this guy resurrected from the dead, but no, no, he didn't. We saw him. We saw him put in the grave. He never came back out. There's none of that. In Acts chapter 2, 50 days after, you know, after Passover, there's Pentecost. Pentecost is seven weeks later, and the apostle Peter is full of the Holy Spirit, and he, he preaches one of the, the most amazing sermons. It's all about the death and resurrection of, of Jesus. And at the end of the sermon, 3,000 are devout Jews. How do we know they're devout? Well, seven weeks earlier, they traveled to Jerusalem for Passover, and now they're back for Pentecost. So they're religious. They're, they're coming back. And these 3,000 Jews ask at the end of the sermon, what can we do to believe? Here's my point. If the resurrection hadn't happened, you wouldn't have 3,000 devout Jews seven weeks later accepting Christ, taking the, faith to put their, or taking the step to put their faith in. You have over 2,000 people that saw Christ after his resurrection. And they're telling their friends, and they're telling their friends, and they're telling their friends. So where am I going with this? It is a reasonable faith to believe that Jesus died for our sins. What is difficult is the fact that, you know, for us to say, because he died on the cross and was resurrected from the dead, that he saved me from death. He saved me from my sin. And I'm going to heaven. That's the jump of faith. Not the, the faith that he lived. The faith to say that he lived and died and rose from the grave for me. That's the step of faith. In Acts 4, uh, the, the same evil group that crucified Christ was still in charge. And some of these guys had started to believe. Some of them, like you know, Nicodemus uh, and Joseph, uh, Joph, uh, Joseph of Arimathea. So the Sanhedrin was not in a, in a very good mood because there was all this debate, the rulers of the, the Jews here. So Peter and James heal this guy, and, and Peter is now preaching, and, and you know, everyone just heard the story of Christ, and you know, it's, it's, it's easy to have people start believing at this point. So the Sanhedrin calls these guys in, and they, they threaten them. And these two guys actually, you know, Peter and, and James, they flip it around and put the Sanhedrin on trial, basically. And they preach the, to the Sanhedrin the death and resurrection of Christ. Even the Sanhedrin doesn't respond in anger. You know, even them, they didn't go, he wasn't resurrected. They could have said, Why? We, we had the body. They didn't have the body. Because he was resurrected from these guys. So, so what they do, these educated guys, these lawyers, all these really smart guys, I mean, they're, they're the top-notch Jews, 
They basically said, hey, you need to shut up. Don't talk about this anymore. That's what they said to him. I mean, this is their official warning. You just need to be quiet. And they just leave. That's Acts chapter 4. I mean, the disciples are fearless now. So Paul in and, and, and 1 Corinthians 15, remember this is the first book written after Christ's resurrection. He says, Now brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. And basically what Paul's doing, he, he's challenging them. Go and find someone. Let them tell you what happened. After that, verse 6, it says, He appeared to, even, to, to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of them who were still living, though some have fallen asleep. In other words, they've, uh, they've died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the disciples. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and did not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. The Apostle Paul is basically a recovering Pharisee. Verse 10, it says, By the grace of God I am what I am, and, the, and his grace to me was not without effect. And this is like, uh, and this is like most of us. I am what I am today totally because of his grace. Because the grace is not without effect. It is not empty. Now down to verse 14, he talks about how Christ has to remain the focus of our lives above everything. It is about Christ. Even if, if, if it offends people, we, you know, we, we sugarcoat way too much, don't we? I mean, we don't need to purposely offend people. But at the same time, we don't be quiet just because they don't want to hear about Christ at the same time. We need to get the word out. We need, I mean, wouldn't you want to be in heaven with those that you love? That's why you're trying to get them to understand who Christ is. People want to know the truth. So don't be embarrassed and tiptoe around it. It is a fact for us. And in verse 14 he says, And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. If Christ is not risen, we're empty, we're fruit, fruitless, we're vain, we're useless, we're pointless, like an empty gas can. If Christ is not risen, then we're just a shell. It all hinges on the death and resurrection of Christ. Verse 15, it says, More than that, we were found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him. In fact, the dead are not raised. If, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Think about it for a second. If Christ is not risen from the grave, then we still have sin to pay for, right? Because we've sinned against our Creator, right? Who pays for that sin if Christ didn't pay for it? We do. 
And what, is that, and what, is, what does that entail? Separation from God. Because if you have sin, you can't be near God, right? Because he's holy, he's righteous, he's just. That's why Christ came. We rely on this fact to keep us going. Here's the deal. <clears throat> we are not just good people. Some people are better than other people when it comes to morals and all that, but it's not about that. We're also the people who rest in the reality of his resurrection. We allow the Holy Spirit to keep our faith. Paul says in, down in verse 32, you know, should we all go out and get drunk because, you know, because uh, there's nothing to believe in? No, absolutely not. Verse 20, he says, but Christ has indeed been, uh, been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The first fruits is a Jewish and a Greek thing. It's a Roman concept that, that if we were all Jewish and Greek and Roman, we would understand. For us, we need it explained a little bit. The first fruits were the first fruit of the harvest. Okay, sounds simple, but it's more than that. The first fruits, what you go and you pick off the vine, you cut off the vine, and you go, okay, we, we got to test this. And you pop it in your mouth. And you either go, oh, man, th this is terrible. We're going to have a terrible crop this year. Or you go, oh, man, this stuff is really good. Look at, look at the vines. They're just full of, of grapes. I mean, this harvest is going to be great. That's what we're talking about here. The first fruits. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death was our enemy. But now, we are the harvest. And at the end of the day, when we die, we don't have to worry about our, you know, we don't have to worry about anything if our faith is in Christ. Then down in verse 51, he says, Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with the immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. And here he sings this song. And I'm not going to try to sing it to you. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God... He gives us victory through, Jesus, uh, through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he wraps it up in verse 58 and says, Therefore, my dear brother, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor is not, labor in the Lord is not in vain. So today we'll leave. We'll go and we'll have our Easter traditions knowing that everything that we sacrifice in this world for Christ is nothing compared to what he did for us. And it is truly for us. It is truly for you. 
And the reason he created the world, the reason why he walked with Adam and Eve, is he wanted a relationship with those that he created. When sin entered into our lives, you were the reason that he put his plan into action. You were the reason that he came to this earth born of a virgin, came as an innocent baby, and he was put on trial, though he was innocent. He took, the, you know, he, he took the negative things of your life. He took the worst things that you, could, you have ever done and paid for them through pain and suffering. You were the reason. And today we come to understanding, we come to an understanding that when, he, you know, that when we come and we ask for forgiveness, when we come to the Lord and, and say, Lord, give me grace, he gives it freely because he wants a relationship. You were the reason that he died on the cross so you could have a wonderful relationship that he has wanted, that he has desired. All you need to do is believe because he truly, he truly loves us. Let's pray. Lord, it's, it's hard to comprehend how much you love us. It's hard to comprehend because we try to ignore our sin. We don't want to think about the things that, that go against your ways, the things that, that disappoint you. And yet when we're confronted with that sin, we get overwhelmed because we're afraid that you don't love us, yet you do. You prove that by your death on the cross. Lord, I pray that today, this week, this month, that as we leave here, that we not leave our faith sitting in these chairs. That we not leave our faith with singing the songs or, or listening to a sermon. That we take our faith with us and present that to other people as living proof that you're a loving God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may you realize the saving grace that he's given you by dying on the cross. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.